Welcome to On The Rise, a podcast about female college tennis players on the way up. On The Rise serves compelling stories and unique voices in women's college tennis. This is your host, Perry Shinen. In this episode of On The Rise, I will be speaking with University of Oregon alum, Julia Achette, who is the seventh winningest player in school history. Led by head coach Courtney Nagel and assistant coach Elizabeth Robinson, Julia helped the Ducks overcome Stanford for the first time ever in 2021. Now, Julia travels the world as a junior product line manager for K-Swiss. Welcome to another episode of On The Rise Podcast. This is your host, Perry, and I'm joined today by Julia Achette from Oregon Women's Tennis. Julia, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Thank you for having me. Of course. Well, thank you for being here. The weird space that we're in of being in college tennis and then all of a sudden not, what has that been like for you? Well, it's funny because the longer I've been out of it, the more I'm like, wow, that's first of all, that's going to be the hardest thing I ever do in my life because, you know, we're balancing school, social life, training, trying to like plan your future. And so it's a lot. So this whole transition is just weird because all of a sudden I feel like I have so much time and I almost didn't know what to do with it at the beginning. And now I'm, you know, I'm filling in the gaps. I'm coaching a bit, picking up some other jobs, making some music. So yeah. You're making music? Yeah. Yes, I make music on the side. (laughs) What? Wait, can you tell me more? What kind of music is this? So it's very like singer songwriter slash kind of pop style. I, when I was 16, when I tore my ACL, that's when I got into music. And then ever since then, I've just kind of make it whenever I'm feeling inspired. Come, let's sit, we'll talk a bit, rest your weary soul. Cause I've got the time and I can see you've got plenty to get off your chest. Be paused for a moment to think. Turn to me, he took one big breath, made his peace. So you tore your ACL and did you just start making music? How did that transition happen? Well, I always wrote poems and I always wrote poems like with melodies in my head. Like I knew what the melody was. And so when I tore my ACL, I got the call from the doctor and he's like, yeah, it's going to be like a year recovery. And I was like, well, got to find something else to do. Now we're here. Now I'm making music. Okay. So you teach tennis in your free time. Yes. Usually after work or weekends. I have a couple people who book me whenever they please. How does it feel to be on the other end of it teaching? Well, I'm very like particular. I won't just coach anyone because like I have zero patience on court. So you're either, <laughs> I know it's so bad. I'm like, you're either going to listen to me and want to get better or I'm not. Like, I can't just go on court and be like, okay, like, let's just hit some forehands. And be- like, I'm like, no, we're drilling and you're going to get better. And so I like it because I find people who are as intense as me. And so. Yeah, it's been it's been cool. And I guess what I'm wondering is, and this is something that I'm going through too, is like the point in which your quote unquote competitive spirit, does that fire ever wane? And if so, like, what do we do to replace it? Because for me, I have not touched a racket since moving to Virginia because my job is so crazy. And it's very sad for me because I look at the racket in the closet and I'm like, whoa, it's like, hi friend. But also like, I have not stepped on a court. I haven't done anything that has like made my body feel like I'm going to compete. You know what I mean? So I've kind of just existed for a year. It's very strange. In terms of the competitive thing, no, I always want to win. I will always, always want to win. <laughs> I don't think that's going to go away. 
Uh, but you should definitely step on a court. You're, you'll be amazed by like the wave of emotions that just hit you because you're just like, I've just been like been through so much on the court. It'll all hit you. You'll be like, wow. You know, you'll like look at the lines and remember like warming up for that practice you really didn't want to go to. And it's just like, you know, I, I've kind of found running as like a way okay. to just do something, but not be competitive at it. Like I don't look at times. I just kind of go until I am tired and then I turn around and come back. So with music, have you found that like, it's it's almost like putting our energy into something that is not competitive in the way tennis was, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's also why I gravitated towards music so much is because it was just the, like the people were so different. I fell in love with the people in the music industry. Everybody's just so open-minded, free-spirited and just collaborative. You know, in the tennis world, it's not like that. You know, you're with your team, you wake up, you warm up, you work out, you stretch, you go to PT. It's just very different. They're very strict. It's very like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and yeah, so music wasn't that. And so I think it balanced me very nicely because then I had this escape from being competitive and just now I was just vibing with everyone and, you know, feeling the energy in the room and going off of that. Totally. That's so cool. So you have been all over the world since we last spoke. Could you just fill us in, you know, where have you been? Um, so I went to London for four days <laughs> and then I'll be going to Spain next month and then back to Amsterdam the month after that and then back to London. So a lot of traveling. So amazing. And what is your job? I work for K-Swiss. I'm the junior product line manager for their tennis line and uh, now their kids line. And so you also started this awesome podcast, The Glass Box. Could you tell me more about it? Um, Yeah. So one of my favorite things to do is listen to people's stories. Like I love hearing about what they're going through and their experiences. And I love relating to them and all that good stuff. And so I think it was the summer of my junior year. I stayed in Oregon the entire summer with my buddy who uh, actually produces my music for me and came up with this idea of combining my love for stories and just hitting record and just creating a podcast Uh, because I was a journalism major. So I was like, okay, how can I kind of bring together this passion I have for storytelling and journalism? And so I started the podcast and um, yeah, it was one of my favorite things that came out of my college experience for sure. And do you have future plans for this? No, I haven't. I haven't made any decisions uh, to continue it just yet. So we'll see. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of your time at Oregon, what do you think? What was the biggest match or kind of the biggest moment that you had on court? There are probably a couple, but probably the one that I remember most recently was my fifth year. It was senior day. And, um, you know, we've never beaten Stanford and we ended up beating Stanford and I won my match. And it was just this feeling of like, that was my last home match, like beating Stanford. And, you know, in college tennis, like beating Stanford is, is a big deal because they are the school to beat every year. So that was a very exciting, exciting moment. May not have been like my best match, but it was the most like exciting team moment. And it speaks to your character that it was a team moment that you were most like excited about. Yeah. Do you think that college tennis changed the way that you look at the sport? Maybe not the way I look at the sport, but the way I looked at I mean, being on a team, because that was just so different to me. And I think it's like, you know, in professional tennis, you have a team, 
but it's just, you don't have teammates, but you have like, you know, your physio, your trainer. I mean, if you're at the top level, but yeah, I, all of a sudden it wasn't about me. So yeah, it definitely took me out of my own bubble, which took a while to pop, but eventually it popped. And I was, I was a team player. <laughs> you can ask my coaches and my teammates, freshman year rough, just so selfish, just like angry that I had to carry the ball back. Cause I was a freshman on my phone. Cause I was like, I just need to decompress after a match. Like, no, no phones. Got our whole team to get phones taken away. Just, I was a slow, I was a slow learner, but I got it. I got it in the end. The no phones thing can hurt sometimes, especially if it's after a tough match. It was so painful. Cause I was also the one to be like, can we get our phones back now? And everybody, like my teammates would be like, Julia, shh, like, don't like, not yet. Just wait. I'm like, I want my phone back. <laughs> Even though I was the one that was the reason that we didn't have our phones. I was still, you know. Anyways, no, there's nothing like scrolling through Instagram through the tears after a bad loss. There is nothing like it. It's a nice little distraction. You know, five minutes. All I need is five minutes. Just give me five minutes. That's fine. It was fine. It was a good lesson. I don't need my phone. So how did, how else did you process matches if not for your phone? Uh, just being really vocal, you know, for the team that took me right out of my own bubble. I got to the point where like after I finished, whether I won or lost, I like sprinted to the sideline and I was just screaming, just trying to pump up my teammates. Yeah, that kind of did it. And what did you learn from your teammates? That everybody is so different than me. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like everyone's so different. And you just, like, I learned how to communicate with like the shy person, the sensitive person, the aggressive person, the negative person, the overly positive person. And it's like, you really do have to communicate with all those people differently. And if you don't, you, you know, you just, you're going to run into conflict. And there was a lot of conflict because you just get tired of having to adjust the way you communicate. And so, yeah, I think that was the biggest lesson I learned from them. That's really interesting. And, you know, I mean, going back, why Oregon? That's a hard question too, because I didn't, honestly, I didn't want to go to college. I didn't want to play college tennis at all. I just wanted to travel the world and play pro. But then again, ACL at 16. So smart thing to do is to go to college. And I think I was, I was playing the Eddie Hare and the assistant coach knew my coach and they were chatting. And my coach like waved me like, like, come here. Like I looked at him. I was like, are you kidding me? They're going to have me talk to this man who's wearing green shorts and a yellow shirt. I'm like, you're joking. I'm about to talk to a clown. (laughs) And I went to talk to him and he told me all about like everything student athletes get at Oregon and, and the facilities and all that. And I didn't know that that college sports was this elite thing. Like, I didn't know that we got treated this way. I had no idea. So I was like, oh, really? And then I was interested a bit. And I think I ended up choosing Oregon because the coaches were recruiting me. They were really genuine. They cared about me on and off the court. They cared about my music. I could be very honest with them. I literally was like, I'm staying here for two years. I'm not staying. I want to leave. I don't want to be in college. And they were like, okay, it's fine. And they were just super cool. And so I gravitated towards that. Whereas one, uh, I don't remember who it was, but somebody emailed me and they're like, hello, prospect. I didn't even read the rest of the email. I was like, absolutely not. Sorry. I saw you play at the Orange Bowl. I'm like, I didn't play the Orange Bowl. (laughs) It's just like, you're joking, right? And so, yeah, I gravitated towards those people. It was the people. Mm -hmm. And so you didn't end up staying for two years. You ended up staying for five. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about that out loud. (laughs) Oh, yes. 
five whole years. Wow. Good times. And what made you stay? That's just the path that I, that I took. And so I was seeing it through. Just simple as that. No, I totally get that. Do you think that we're built differently as tennis players? Because I've had some guests on that say that we are built differently. And do you think it's because we started as differently? Or do you think the sport has shaped us to become different? I think it's what the sport requires in order to get good that shapes us into this sort of quote unquote different, you know, because it's just you. So like from the age of, let's say, eight, whenever you start playing, you're on your own on court and you have to figure it out for yourself. Like most kids aren't trying to figure things out for themselves at eight years old. And so doing that for five plus years, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about your weaknesses, your strengths just discipline, character, values. So I think it's I think it's the process of what it takes to get good at tennis that shapes us into this different kind of person. Your parents, were they athletes? How did you get into tennis? Um, my mom is a personal trainer, so she's, uh, but she was a dancer. That was her thing. So, she, and my dad is, is just very athletic, but not, they weren't like avid tennis players. So, you know, growing up, was there a tennis parent out of the two of them? No, I shunned them from my matches <laughs> because I didn't like the way they tennis parented. Um, they actually, no, they weren't tennis parents. My mom would just make like faces when I would play and I would like her being nervous, like made me nervous. So I was like, you cannot sit there and watch me. I don't need that energy. And then my dad is just this very like positive guy. And he's just like, talking to me during like the match he's like come on be strong and I was like I don't need that either I don't want that either and so I went with my coaches mainly but yeah my mom would come and watch me sometimes but just sit far away (laughs) well I guess my last question is you know where do you see the future of of college tennis of women's college tennis I think overall I see it just my experience at Oregon just in terms of like treatment I can see just like it elevating because, you know, the girls are, we're demanding what we deserve. And um, yeah, so I just, I mean, if anything, I just see it becoming more of an amazing experience because we're, you know, we're getting all the things maybe that the men's tennis team is getting, you know, little things, little details that kind of get cleaned up. Uh, but other than that, I can't really think of where I see the future going. Sorry, I couldn't answer that one. No, don't be, no, no that is interesting. I mean, you know, Obviously, Sedona Price from Oregon highlighting the inequalities at the NCAA tournament was a huge moment in my mind in modern women's sports. Oh, yeah, that was a huge moment. But it's not like it was anything new. You know, it's not like that was a secret. It's just like that video was just like, wow. My name is Julia Eschette, and I'm On The Rise. And this is your host, Perry, and this has been another episode of On The Rise podcast. This has been an episode of On The Rise a tennis channel podcast in partnership with Behind the Racket and produced by Molly Schulson. Join us next time to continue our conversation about women's college tennis. This is Perry Shinen on the rise.